0: apart from use this phrase that we live in a, a sort of like particularly a corporate world where everything seems to have to be provable but actually why can't we live in the world of possible which means in the boardroom you say look the data saying this i don't know why but i just feel the answer is that and i kind of feel like i want to live more of a world like that and i want to be able to be confident enough to say that but, you know, quite often it manifests in, in procrastination for me because I've, I'm not confident to just say, look, you know, I feel this, let's do this. I've, I've got to rely on the data and so I'm, I'm sort of just, I've got an inner struggle.
1: Whether a startup founder or someone with a good idea that hasn't been taken seriously due to gender, race or sexual identity, or just feeling jaded by the lack of passion and purpose in business, you'll be uplifted by this week's interview with three guests. Mark Gilmore, Alan Shaw and John Basnaj. John, Allen, and Mark recently joined forces to launch a new purpose driven investment firm, fuse their diverse skills in marketing and branding, corporate finance and law, and technology. In part one of this joint discussion, we cover their collective yet wildly diverse upbringings. In part two, Mark, Allen, and John dive deep into their new investment venture and its purpose. To recognize, celebrate, embrace, and drive difference through investing in the underinvested and the underrepresented minorities and startups. They discuss the alchemy and untapped power of difference and why true innovation will be born from diversity, and why they are reimagining the very core of their business model to break the traditional corporate structures. Mark discusses investing in purpose-driven businesses, common unity, and delivering for the three Ps of people, planet, and profit. All three discuss the exciting opportunity to invest in new businesses and ideas that have emerged post-COVID to solve the problems that have resulted from the pandemic, and how new networks and communities will grow out of this crisis. We also discuss the positive value of procrastination, their life mottos, and we cover all our quickfire questions. I hope you enjoy the ego-free honesty, passion, purpose, and common unity of Mark Gilmore, Alan Shaw, and John Basnaj. So rather than get into the specifics of each of your fascinating journeys through technology, marketing, branding, corporate finance, and law, perhaps we could jump into how the three of you came together and uh, met each other and decided to form a new business, a new startup that I believe you haven't yet got a formal name for, but you could perhaps describe what your vision and mission and goals are going to be for this business.
0: I'm happy to kick off with just a bit about serendipity, which we're all united by. Starting with, for the last two and a half years, until 12th of March at 10pm at night this year, I remember the exact moment when I left New York, with packed up my apartment and gone because of, and I'm sure I'm one of seven billion stories of what happens during the pandemic. But I was in one of the most, if not the most incredible, cities in the world for connecting with remarkable individuals. And, and the, the privilege of me to have to live, live in New York, and, and I sincerely hope New York will allow me to go back one day and, and be there again, has just been phenomenal. And I'm really grateful for that. So at the end of last year, Alan and I met at a, a dinner, which was uh, arranged by, by a mutual friend um, just to talk about and, and there was a common thread around purpose and business, and, and what's the next level around purpose of and business. And, and I remember what struck me there was, you know, this incredibly articulate, intelligent person next to me called Alan Shaw, who was just, you, know, you know when you, you listen to someone, and you think, "Why didn't I think of that? How can this person be able to express this so well?" And the true so. And I was greatly honored that we, we kept, in, kept in touch post then. And then John and I met at a UN uh, LGBT gathering. It was during the, the annual events with which they have there, so we met. And then we all came together for a dinner in our good friend's friend Robert Marchetti's um, restaurant Grand Tivoli. And the genesis of that was all of us really felt, you know, as part of the community, We wanted to understand more. We wanted to listen to some truly inspiring people who are doing either great work, have great thinking, or come from very, you know, incredible backgrounds in the community. But also we wanted a safe space where we could really openly discuss this and say, you know, is there something we can really do? Yes, you know, there might have been some wine and food at the dinner, but the meaning was actually about tangible action and not just walking away and then going on and doing doing the next thing. So that that was sort of the genesis. And and I think post then, Alan, John and I, and again, you just have these incredible moments where the conversation between people just becomes electrified. And it's sort of, you know, one plus one plus one equals 25, you know, and and we, we realized there was a lot which we felt we wanted to do in the world. Now I'm going to hand the baton over to either correct what I've just said, and so that was actually not what happened, or to, to maybe further that. And Alan and John, I'll let you carry I say, yeah. I
2: would say Mark just replied to this one ad we put into the the, the uh, papers. That was ago. the
0: <laughs> 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 So lonely of New York, please.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no. No, Alan. You should probably go next. So, first of all, that is spot on. That's exactly what happened Um, because I I didn't previously know John, and uh, I actually met John via uh, the dinner that Mark mentioned. But just just to kind of further the the thread, one of the things that I really enjoy about the three of us there's a vulnerability between the three of us that I've never experienced before. Not with family, not with not with close friends, and And I believe that vulnerability has allowed for us to really pull back and think about what do we want to do to affect change? Uh, We do it in a way that's very respectful, right? We come from very, as you can see, very different backgrounds and and very different perspectives. But the one thing is incredibly true, at least I feel it's true, is that we, we all feel we have a role to play in making the world better. We feel that we have a a, an opportunity as individuals to do something very different, and we don't. I don't believe that we have ego when it comes to things. I think we would, whether it's money or time or ideas, uh, if it's hard, even better. If it means that we need to get others involved and engaged in order to drive to the right outcomes, we're willing to do it. And I've never, I've never felt that way when it comes to other people before in my life, and so. Uh, we don't have a name. It does spawn a lot of interesting conversation debate, but it just goes to show how thoughtful and intentional we are about everything we do. Okay.
2: I, I wouldn't, I don't have much more to add. It, I would say it is a place where every kind of, We we seem to be able to enter a conversation without. We can bring experiences and we're not bring any judgment. And I think trust people to the point where we really ask questions almost naively. And we put them out there and we have a discussion around it without judgment and without bringing all sorts of like ideas that come in. We, we seem to be able to have this discussion that is much freer than we've, I've been able to have with other people. And I think we also, all three of us really care about fairness and opportunity and um, yeah, it's very exciting. We, we're obviously
1: early days, but I think some really interesting things will, will happen. So can you describe the business and the service that you're going to be offering? When you say that making the world a better place and, and injecting more purpose, I mean, obviously there's a, for the last, let's say, 10 years, there's been, business have been focusing on purpose beyond profit. And with the likes of the Business Roundtable last year at Davos, talking about uh, changing focus of um, the objectives of business, that Milton Friedman's focus from his 1970s essay on business simply being about shareholder values finally being overturned, the anti-capitalist club at Davos getting together and and committing to changing corporate goals was, I think, notable this year. And the fact that we are we are seeing a genuine sea change from even people like uh, Larry Fink's commitment in terms of investment strategy. There's many ways in which that purpose can be realised. I'd love you to maybe just explain how you see your collective. You're coming together as a as a, as a new business. Where you are going to be able to advise and impact that journey for individual businesses or for society?
3: Mark, you were nodding at what you or Alan, Mark, or Alan? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't mind starting it off. And Mark and John will course correct me. Mark, uh, Mark fellows maybe if. If you allow me, I, I want to kind of take it, do it a little differently. Instead of telling a narrative, I want to I kind of maybe describe it in ways of problems or situations we've identified and we feel that need attention. So one of the things, and, and typically this is where I start spitting out a bunch of stats, and I'm not going to do that. Not, I, I love data, I love information. I'm not going to do that. But I will say that in 2018, 2019, maybe around you know 60 plus million or 60 plus billion dollars of, of venture capital was was ultimately allocated of that 2%, 2% of that went to women entrepreneurs. And of that 2%, less than 1% went to women of color. That's a problem, right? Great, A great idea can come from anywhere. One might say great ideas come from areas that probably experience the most stress or the most pressure, right? Because they're forced to figure out a way to to make something better or to survive or to or to think differently about a community in which they either belong or serve. And so we think one of the opportunities is creating access or, or providing access to capital and credit to women, and in particular women of color that are entrepreneurs. But because of the the systems out there of, of how you allocate capital, women typically are not a part of the of the majority. And so that's that's one. Area of our business where we feel we have a passion when it comes to difference. This is something that Mark has taught me personally, and I appreciate diversity versus difference. And 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 John can write a book on on why diversity is a challenging phrase in our in our lexicon, and in particular in our in our community. But um, we want to focus on that that part of difference, and we want to focus on helping. And supporting women entrepreneurs especially those of
0: color to get
3: access to credit and capital so that's one piece of our business
0: to add to that and the word difference is so incredibly important to our dna so one of the things you'll notice is that we sort of a slightly you know we, we we nudge and wink between each other when you say, "Well, tell us about your business and your mission back well you know, actually to be a different business is to be a bit fluid about that and to resist in a way some organisational structure. And we grapple with that, but we celebrate that as well. And I think I, I just want to sort of put that out there, that that is really important to us to think how we create that difference through non-conventional means. And I think that that, that is going to be incredibly important for us. The other thing is to, to really create difference and celebrate difference is It's about giving opportunities, but making sure that those companies as well are truly in all their ecosystems driving difference as well. And I think, you know, one of the things which you look at the world at the moment, which is in such, you know, there's so much change going on, but there is a notion that difference is really important, which is fantastic. But how can we ensure this is just not sort of words how can we assure that this is just not sort of trophism but it doesn't follow through and 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 that is absolutely the revolution which we need now to make sure that it absolutely followed through and we keep reminding ourselves of that and if anything we can do in a tiny small way is to create something which just really is about celebrating that the importance of difference and and even though our backgrounds are, are very different pardon the pun I think all of us, have realized that you truly get great results when you put... It's the alchemy of all these different things, you know, different thinking, people, backgrounds coming together to create something wonderful, beautiful, and will change. And, you know, know, I've had moments in my life when when I've told I need to conform. You know, I need to... Even in companies, they say to me, you said to me, you know, you're too creative, you're too emotional, you need to... You're not going to progress. And again, it was one of those pivotal moments. Oh, my God. But actually... The beauty of, of business to truly be purposeful is to is to celebrate difference and drive difference in in what you do. So that is absolutely our core core DNA. I, I would say, and John, I'm going to slightly hand the baton over to you you there to sort of add or modify that.
1: Just one one question I've got around that. As you're describing it, my assumption is that this is a essentially a, a venture fund that you invest in in startups. From uh, let's say, as Alan said, the underinvested, the, the communities and people of color, women of color, who don't attract that sort of level of finance. But there's also, presumably, a if you just look at any industry, any established business, there is a, a, a fundamental issue with the lack of diversity in mainstream businesses. That that has to be addressed. You know, if I look at even just the advertising agencies in the background there. It's deplorable, the level of diversity. An industry that prides itself on creativity and invention and innovation that doesn't have diversity is underserving its clients. So I think there has to be a narrative that's built that goes beyond just investment.
2: Well, I think we completely agree. I think I often prefer to use the word innovation rather than diversity or inclusion, because I think true innovation, the product of true innovation will be a diverse, traditionally diverse, you know, inclusive workforce. But I agree. I think part of our, you know, even well, part of the business is to empower financially underrepresented entrepreneurs and creative people. But we, well, two things on that. One is first, we don't want to be that venture fund that does the two and two, the 2% and carry. I mean, that just, that model, I think is just, that's something we, you know, why is everybody, That's something that has to be rethought of too. What is carry anyway? Other than kind of a rent, that's basically the first person on top, guy on top of the pillar gets all the, you know, keeps getting all the stuff. You know, so I think we're trying to, one reason we've been a little slow is because we want to rethink that model entirely. And on your other point, there's been a lot of very public statements about the need to be more inclusive, but ultimately most of these companies are still allocating bonuses on the basis of like, you're basically using financial metrics, which probably are based on, To some extent, either historical privilege, or possibly even you know behaviors that are not productive for the whole organization. But you know, certainly in my experience at my law firm, and it was no different than many others. You know, the noise, the the most certain behaviors, like you know, sort of um, if you're going to a meeting and you leave the meeting, who who takes credit for the deal? Well, you can either have a fight about it, or you can just let the person who's likely to win take take all the credit, and that happens over and over again. And when that happens over and over and over again it has a huge effect on the, your employment your employees and what they view as fair and what they view is what will happen if they stay in the organization so i think anyway the, the long and short of it is words aren't enough i don't think corporate structures have actually changed all that much um it's really important for the be representation at the senior level and you can put people up there but unless you create an organic, an organic system which allows people to to progress organically i don't know so i think we wanted we, we would like to we would like to be in that space, and like to like, if basically engender a discussion around, around that.
1: Okay, once once you're established and you're ready to invest, is there any? I mean, do you, I think Mark, you just acknowledged that the word is in a, a state of interesting. I don't want to use necessarily the word turmoil, but we are in a rapid period. What appears to be an accelerating period of change, which on some fronts appears to be negative. And could take us down a dystopian future, but there's a lot of hope, an opportunity that there is uh, a, a new narrative emerging, an increasing awareness for the the need for greater social, economic, racial justice. How will you focus your your investments uh, in these minority? groups will it be on social business or are you looking at any particular category around technology artificial intelligence climate will purpose be part not just the the diversity of the or the difference of the people that you're investing in will you be also seeking out socially purposeful business ideas
0: look i, I think the, the answer has to be yes there as well and one of the things which i was uh, um, reading about recently was just you know during the pandemic and what was going on in Mount Hope which I believe is, is, is in South Bronx is that right and incredible resilience there of people who are key workers having to to, to go through through sort of like get to work in, in very very difficult situations and then supplies running short but you know to reinforce what you said Mark that the, the community aspect they're really pulling together to support each other and I think my hope out of this is that the sense of community or common unity, which our dear friend Yvette, uh, Professor Yvette Burson, um, uh, recently enlightened me to, that that's the origins of the word community, which I feel ridiculous not understanding. But, you know, that, that, that in itself is, is great hope. So what is it that we can do to support community and further community? And, and yes, there are many potential business ideas which, which could potentially work out of that. And, you know, I come from a background where, and you talk about impact and that there are social impact businesses. And I, I sometimes struggle about, well, how can you segregate the word social impact from business? You know, in, in the end of the day, every business needs to make a positive impact. You know, we're not in the business to be negative. But at the same time, you know, as my previous boss you know, said, you know, it's about people, planet, profit. It's the the three together which really make strong business. And if you don't make profit or you're not good with the plan and weather, you don't have a business. So the answer to your question is, Mark, absolutely. We need to think about those businesses which are intending to make a positive contribution to those three P's which we talk about. But also, and this is something the three of us feel very strongly about, it's the support for those founders to get there, and if you think about, you know, capital of course is one thing, but access to knowledge and support, and you know, being an entrepreneur is a lonely thing. Being a founder is can be very. Where do you find the information from? Where do you? What, what about failure? How do I deal with that? All these things. So you know, that is something which I know between the three of us, we are passionate about the ongoing support to help and us learn too. Those businesses really become. Um, impactful in the
1: right way. Yeah, it's a it's fascinating. I was just reading this morning about how I think it was Fernando Makeda at Burger King was talking about how they have made a, a a step forward in purpose in their business by a discovery that lemongrass mixed with uh, cattle feeds reduces the methane emissions of the the cattle by a third. Which is them acknowledging that they are part of the problem, but they're also part of the solution by taking this innovation and putting it out as an open source solution to the rest of the the cattle industry or the meat industry. You know, it's one one small part, and you can look at something like that and you can dismiss it as just a typical sort of uh, almost like being used as marketing fodder. But if you look back at sort of No um, Noah Harari's speech at Davos, where he talked about the three existential threats of obviously nuclear weapons and AI and how it could create data deserts and this of the, the challenges we're going to face there, um, but also climate crisis. If we start to look at it through those, those existential filters, there's certain types of businesses that should potentially be the ones that you would be looking at as priorities for investments, ones that will actually help to avert these existential threats that we face. How are you intending to identify these, uh, these entrepreneurs and these businesses that, that might come together through their difference? Are you looking at casting people together and bringing them together? Or are you looking at just identifying businesses that, and, and founders that already exist? Because I do think that one of the interesting areas going forward in the future is looking at how you can bring either different thinkers People have experience together that would never otherwise meet each other. And that in that very nature is serendipity. That through those combination of different perspectives, different experiences, and different talent, will maybe solve problems in a way that traditional businesses would never have done. And I suppose what I'm describing is obviously you, your ability to build a network where you can spot the opportunities to bring people together with the different talent and to cast them as solution providers. For the planet
2: yeah i completely agree i think a lot of times by the time people would find us and come to us there are a lot of people a a lot of stuff might not have been created but a lot of those maybe are the people who need us most and as you said putting people together i think is part of the mission um kind of creating an environment for people to have that first discussion and i think society doesn't necessarily do that so part of our role has to be do that and while we haven't formalized that. I think the three of us have very broad and diverse networks. I think we're unusual that way in that we don't tend to have a lot of friends who come from our backgrounds that look like us. And that's something I think probably that also makes the three of us appeal a lot to each other because that's in, that's unusual in the spaces that we come from. So I hope we can we can we can leverage
3: that in what we do. Just to build on that, uh, you know, you, we talk about opportunity, and and there's no short of opportunities out there and, and I mean there's a couple of things that are happening like right now that's still developing number one like direct investment and, and just business globally is down 40 percent and, and we're still very much in the middle of, of this pandemic right so that 40 can absolutely change and and trade this just commercial uh, commerce and trade investments down like 13 almost 32 percent and it, it goes back and forth and so with these things happening like real time, that creates pressure. It creates a requirement to think differently, to think outside the box. And so I believe that if anything, we're going to be oversubscribed, right? There are going to be so many different ideas of, of, you know, now that we're in the pandemic now we have to work from home, how do you continue to manage productivity outside of just video conferencing? How do you manage things like commercial real estate? How do you connect people, right? Your social network has changed where you would go out to dinner or go outside. Now you're thinking differently about um, entertainment and, and, and arts. And so, I think that you know, just to build on John's point, um, if anything, the question is and and Mark, I thought you raised a really good point, right? How do we now think differently about getting people together, and how do we how can we facilitate that that convening in a way that allows for people to think outside the box? I think that's a great opportunity for us
0: and I, I just want to add to that mark, just building on what you said about sort of this network effect, I think the the one incredible thing about ideas and innovation as as john said is you have a very people are very passionate about a start point but when you bring in diverse views and you bring in the artists with the scientists and all sorts of things actually you just grow and and one of the things about being an entrepreneur or a founder is the ability to listen and to pivot as well because you can always build on that sometimes it's about saying no but a lot of the time it's about being flexible and curious to, to do that and i think. That is absolutely what the power of a network can do there.
1: I was just going to reflect on the fact that Bettina and I are were members of Neuhaus. And the great thing about Neuhaus as a co-working space is that it is unbelievably diverse. And the people that we've met through the Neuhaus community, and the, I think the, the ideas that have germinated there and have, been, uh, have evolved because of that community... Are extraordinary. So unlike other, you know, maybe co-working spaces like WeWork that seem to be segregated into little offices, they they, they cultivate these uh, that diversity. They cultivate the difference and they cultivate the conversations and uh, encourage it to drive people to exchange ideas. I heard someone say once that innovation is only is really simply put, idea sex. <laughs> you bring two different <laughs> beings concepts together and it forms something new. Um, and I, th- I think that's something really exciting. And, there's, and there is an urgency for it. There's no question. So sorry, John, I interrupted.
2: I was going to say the same thing. I completely agree. I think um, the community is probably one of the most fundamentally, one of the most fundamental needs right now. And I think the difference between community and membership is also something really to bear in mind because membership like Soho House and to some extent WeWorks, when you pay, you get in, but you're all segregated and you have this idea of privilege, whereas community is a place that's open and engenders this kind of interaction. And I think community is key and I think that's that's behind what we we would like to do as well. And I think, yeah, so I I just completely endorse your idea of community. And I also was going to say that one thing we're not is that three of us are not focused on one very specific group of people, because I think we've come to, I think we've come to the place where we can, we might find a place that we're most able to support, but I think we're kind of in an intersectional space now where We we need to go beyond just looking at this very specific type of person to elevate because most people have more than one identity anyway. And these identities many times are connected. Socioeconomic background is often connected with with other attributes. And anyway, I think so community and yes, and also in the broadest sense.
1: It's also going to be very interesting as you as a business. I mean, I think at the moment you're just looking at geographically where you're sitting. John, you're in London. Mark, you're in the UK.
0: I'm in London too.
1: And Alan, you're in? New York. New York. So your business by very nature is going to be geographically sort of uh, diverse. And how many, I mean, as startups, normally your founders tend to be working together in the same geographical location, usually in the same office. But maybe going forward, the really interesting startups are going to come and be born virtual. And that's fascinating because then how do you start to change and manage a startup, even from a simply, you know, all the, all the technology, if it was 10 years ago, you could never do a virtual startup. But now the technologies the, from the project management, the collaboration and using things like the, how GitHub is, all these, the mechanisms of a startup are there to allow for something truly innovative to form. And we've, we interviewed the founders of WhereWorks recently, Keith and Kevin, and they're they are doing haptic technology to solve the problem for blind people. And it's fascinating. And they are completely virtual. They've got teams in Romania. They've got team people in the West Coast and the East Coast. And that's working effectively. They don't need offices. So I do think, for, you know, leaving aside, just simply taking at the very core of what you're talking about as your purpose, the mechanisms through how you start to build these and construct these Uh, diverse teams of different skill sets, attitudes, experience, and then bring them together and give them the mechanisms to allow them to operate in ways that other startups can't could be fascinating.
0: I was going to
2: say, particularly when you add in our idea not to be too hierarchical, as Mark
0: mentioned in the beginning. Mark, you just raised a really interesting point, which is an opportunity, you know, and it goes back to something I said about being sentient beings, beings as we are, yes, we're moving to a virtual world, but there are things about not being close to someone physically. I mean, the, the word social distancing is just a horrible phrase. It should be banned.
1: Yeah,
0: Absolutely banned. It's physical distancing. It's mm-hmm. not yes. social distancing.
1: have been saying that for a while. Yeah, agree. If,
0: you know, if so much is virtual, what can we do to, to think about this missing, this incredibly important missing part? which, because we are sentient beings. Yeah. And I think that, that's the way to flip it, not, not regret it, say, right, we've got to do something.
1: Okay. So exciting times ahead. So Serendipity certainly brought you together. Before we get into the quickfire questions, you're clearly all of you have been very focused in your careers and therefore you've plied immense amounts of hard work and presumably clarity around the direction you've been going. One of the things that I've had lots of interesting conversations with people around this procrastination, often deemed to be a negative word. Sometimes we can view procrastination as just the time you need to take to come to the conclu- the right conclusion, the right solution. How do you individually manage procrastination? Because I think everyone encounters it at some point in their life and career.
3: I, I mean, when I... When I procrastinate, so I first of all, I agree with you, right? Because sometimes when I say I'm reflecting and I say that often, that is a form of procrastination. But when I reflect or procrastinate it's because something's not quite where it needs to be. I don't want to force it. I need to give it more thought. I need to, I also say this a lot and I know I drive Mark and John crazy. I say, I need, I need my thoughts liberated. I need to hear things from other people so that uh, I'm informed in, in my decision-making. So for me, procrastination is really, it's not quite right. It needs to bake a little longer and I've embraced it.
2: I agree with Alan. I, I think there's two kind when I'm not doing something, there's two reasons. And one is that uh, the pieces aren't in place for me to make the decision. And a lot of times I make decisions, I think partly unconsciously, it's sort of an intuition thing. So that not all pieces are there. So that's, in that case, I have to wait for the something to happen. I have to wait for those pieces to fall into place. But I, the other kind of procrastination is, when I do suffer from sometimes, like I just don't want to do first. If there's like 10 things and I, you know, my mind is on the 15th thing and, and I end up not doing the first thing. So I just, I usually just have to choose one thing and then the rest, then I'm off. But I do find myself occasionally with 15 things in front of me procrastinating to do the very first one or choose the first one.
1: Procrastination for you must have been quite an interesting ex- first experience from growing up with a childhood full of boredom. The, the word, probably had no, there was no concept of procrastination back then. Anyway, so I'm being flippant.
0: It was before ADHD was a thing as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mark, do you want
0: to? For me, procrastination is, and I'm not sure I'm answering exactly the question, but you know, who cares? I'm going to go off piece. But procrastination for me is you know, something, and it's maybe a bit similar to what, what Alan is saying as well, actually. That, you know, I can't formulate the answer because something is going on to, you know, with my body in mind that, that the answer is there. So I'd just rather put off the decision. And I think, you know, I quite often use this phrase that we live in a, a sort of like particularly a corporate world where everything seems to have to be provable, but actually why can't we live in the world of possible? Which means in the boardroom, you say, look, the data is saying this, I don't know why, but I just feel the answer is that. And I kind of feel like I want to live more of a world like that, and I want to be able to be confident enough to say that. But, you know, quite often it manifests in, in procrastination for me because, I'm not confident to just say, look, you know, I feel this, let's do this. I've I've got to rely on the data. And so I'm sort of,
1: I've got an inner struggle. Okay. I read a, I'm going to put you on the spot just now. I read uh, something Alan, a question Alan asked in an interview, which was what's his motto. And Alan said, if not you, who, and if not now, when, if that's Alan's motto, John, Mark, do you have something you live by?
2: For me, it's just learning learning to trust my judgment or I, I think like life, le- living life is about learning to trust. I mean, to it's perfect your intuition, I think, and like processing huge amounts of information unconsciously and come with the right decision. Because I don't think we actually make good decisions rationally other than balancing our checkbook and deciding which commodity is cheaper. So I think it's listening and learning to, you know, to be more intuitive and use.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I should probably just, just practice what I preach to say my motto is, is what I just said, is that live in a world where things should be possible, not always provable. Um, so I, I'll stick to that.
1: I think we should make that our show motto, actually. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> All right, let's get in so quick of our questions. What principles do you stand by? But you sort of touched on that there with your motto. But if there's anything else that comes to mind.
3: A principle, uh, there's a there's a, a a last line of a, a poem is by Maya Angelou, and it's called "Still I Rise." And I, it's a principle for me. The last stanza basically says, "Bringing the gifts my ancestors gave on the hope and the dream of the slave." And so I'm very principled to that. There's millions of people who died, uh, my ancestors who died, for me to have the opportunity to have this conversation, to to live the life I live, to to experience the things that I've experienced, and. And I'm not going to do anything to um, not give it. It's just respect. And so I, I live by that model every single day. I have an opportunity to do great. And so I'm going to do the best I can.
0: Okay, go ahead. I think that the one which I'll say, which I definitely want to do more of and I, and I really think is a very, very you know, important one for, for me in my life. And, and it's a, a lady called Jane Chuson, who's been an incredible influence in my life. Um, is never accept the unacceptable, and I think that is something I really want to to live more to in my life. I guess
2: something like Alan. Uh, um, I just feel like use it's a combination of leaving things better than you found them, and also using what what power you have to put someone else in a slightly better position. Because I think in the end of in the end, all you can say a successful life is is one that left things better than it started,
1: where you found them. Well, it definitely seems to be the core of what you're doing with the business. So. What hard choices have you had to make that might have been tough at the time, but did turn out to be the right decision?
3: Not going to college was tough for me. That was tough. It was tough because of the stigma. It was tough because uh, I already had so many different barriers. Like, why add another barrier, right? Like, why do that, Alan? Like, what are you thinking? But it was the right decision because it allowed me to embrace what I feel is a responsibility to my community and to my family. And I don't regret it one bit. It forced me to read more. It forced me to learn from others. It forced me to learn in an, in an untraditional or non-traditional way. But it turned out I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I am incredibly educated, but I just did it a different way. And, and by doing it a different way, I also was able to take care of my family. And I'm, I'm A-OK with that.
0: I think for, for me, it was, for various reasons, just, you know, leaving a, a great company and job at british airways after nine years and you know starting a restaurant business which failed terribly but you know that whole experience was life-changing for me because it was probably the first time where i've truly stepped out of a comfort zone cotton wool all these things provided just income coming in whatever on your own to to a certain degree and, and it was just you know, it was like looking over a cliff, and at the time, it was just like it, it was just like the most gut wrenching decision. And there was, and it was the true thing which happened there was a real inward looking at me and who I was, and and not trying to sort of think about all the things going around about what what I thought I should be. You know, very, not tracy, but truly pivotal. I
2: guess for me, it was either leaving New York to come to the UK back in the nineties, or or possibly also leaving Hogan Levels, which was where I was a partner for fifteen years, to do, some, do my own thing. And I think both were times where I almost left everything behind. I mean, left for Hogan Levels, I left all that comfort and regularity. But ultimately, I wasn't able to become what I, I really wasn't able to become to do many things I wanted to do. And uh, leaving same, same with New, leaving New York, I left everything behind and moved to London and with nothing. I mean, I think I came that in that point when I came to London with the suitcase. And it was scary, but incredibly liberating. And yeah, so many experiences came from that. Okay,
1: your what you're building is has the potential to solve many problems. But is there one problem that you would highlight as most important problem to solve for the future of humanity? Mm.
2: I think inequity of opportunity, starting at at birth, but particularly sort of in in childhood. And I don't mean that's economic. I mean everything. You know from Having a, having a family that functions and having social services and having a community and you know, all the things that some
0: people take for granted. I can't put it better than that, John. I think, I think that's absolutely the core. Yeah.
1: yeah, hard to disagree with.
3: I agree with John. I mean, if, if anything, I just, I mean, my life would be totally different if the world was via John's lens, right? A, a five-year-old kid shouldn't be dropped off blocks away to go to a school that he shouldn't be going to to try to get an education that's not afforded to have him to sleep on the floor and we need to address that. And so I think John's answer is brilliant. And um, I know it because I lived it.
1: Thank you. That's great. What's a question no one asks you, but you wish they would?
4: You didn't do your homework.
1: It's that question. (laughs) 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 Okay. Bravo. <laughs> Touche. I
0: said, Patina, it was, it's that question I, I, I wish I was never asked.
1: <laughs> okay.
3: I did my homework. I'll give you an answer. I, I actually did my homework, and it, it, but it's a tough question because it, it it gives you two paths. You can be vulnerable and honest, or you can give a BS answer. And and I don't give a lot of BS answers, and so I, I always have to measure. But
4: you really want honest answers.
3: Of course, of course. And so I, I think the one question... That no one asks me is what is it like to be black? Like what is it truly like? Not not what they read in newspapers or textbooks or we talk about systemic racism. We use these 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 amazing words, but but like really what is it like? No one really asks me that question. And because I don't I think they're afraid to know the real answer. And and the real answer is that they would never change, they would never walk in my shoes, they would never change positions with me.
1: So the part of the reason we ask it is that we, we hope that when people listen to this and those individuals are interviewed in other podcasts or for other interviews, they hear this and they ask you. So I'm not going to ask for the answer because that would be wrong. I have
4: an idea, Mark. Maybe we should just one episode with Alan, no offense, uh, and ask him that question. <clears throat> and we, uh, you could get a free flow and express all that you have to say about it.
1: It would be interesting. We interviewed mathematician, musician Marcus Miller, who is a fascinating character, probably one of the most well-read individuals that we've interviewed. A couple we've interviewed him twice now. He's written a lot recently about just everything that's happening with the Black Lives Movement, matter movement. And I think he would be it would be really interesting for, to get someone like yourself and maybe Chloe Valderay and Marcus, who are all got strong views on. Different perspectives on everything, particularly Chloe and intersectionality, and to maybe just to discuss that in a broader sense. But let's table that for the moment.
2: We got close to that discussion, the three of us, but we're going to try to finish it with something like that this weekend when when Alan's in London. We'll give a dry a dry run so that he'll be ready.
3: That's right.
1: Prepping me. I'm going to throw in a different question here just a bit. We normally have these fun questions because I'm conscious we've got 10 minutes left. I saw uh, again in the interview you, uh, you did, Alan, about if you could invite different people to a dinner party. You listed Maya Angelou, Mozart, Abraham Lincoln, Nelson Mandela, and Nina Simone. Just to mix it up and rather than ask you all individually who you would invite to your dinner party, I'm going to say you've got those five people. Between the three of you, you've got to agree Five to have so Mark gets to add someone, John gets to add someone, and they've got to remove uh, two or three of your choices, Alan. So who would who would they be? Who's going? Who's getting kicked out? And who's and who's getting invited in? Okay, <laughs> so I'll say it again. So it's Maya Angelou, Mozart, Abraham Lincoln, Ma- Nelson Mandela, and Nina Simone.
0: I would add James
2: Baldwin, but I would kick out Lincoln.
1: Lincoln's gone. Okay.
0: Okay. Can I just say something really superficial here? Can I add Annie Lennox and take out Mozart, please?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, ever since I was so young, I've had an obsession with Annie Lennox. She's even trodden on my little finger in the concert. So I just like, she's <laughs> always the first person that comes to mind.
1: <laughs> I'd love to see you. And, and then Annie and Nina doing a duet. It could be fun. There you go. And Mozart doing the mix. If you guys said Nina Simone, I was going to have to
3: break up with you. <laughs> <Like I'm>
1: <laughs> <out>. <laughs> okay. So we've now got Maya Angelou, Annie Lennox, Nelson Mandela. No, oh no, Nina Simone and... Yeah, James Baldwin. James Baldwin. But who goes? So Abraham Lincoln goes. They kicked that Abe. They kicked and Mozart goes, okay then, right. So that's it. So we've got Annie Lennox.
0: My mother, as a piano teacher, is going to, oh, she's going to be horrified. I think <laughs> that's oh, Mozart. All right. <laughs> Don't let her hear this
1: podcast. Uh, I'd, want to be, I'd want to be there for that one. Anyway, so moving on. The impossible question. What would your advice be to someone uh, about to graduate, go to study, that's got a goal and ambition that's been told that's impossible? How would you counsel them? I'm going to stay true.
3: Don't be distracted with the four-letter word called fair. Don't let that distract you so many people get just get so distracted and so kind of wound up around it's that, and I'm not being treated fairly. I'm not like, that's just life and it's not right. But if you stop allowing it to distract you and you focus on the things that you can control and you create opportunity for yourself and you remember to lift as you climb, I think that's, that's the one piece of advice I would give to someone that looks like me entering the world.
2: Uh, for, well, for me, I think it's just people's expectations that, that people, when people say possible, they just mean what their expectations are. So just to realize their expectations are limited. So what's possible is a lot bigger than that. When you're young, particularly when you're young, but hopefully at all ages, particularly when you're young, you just, you can just look forward and you're not even, I don't know, there's something about being young where you just not, you don't even count the consequences of failing. So particularly if you're at that age, you're thinking about, yeah, I think just those people's ideas of what's normal should be taken seriously.
0: I would say it's a very uncorporate world, but, you know, dream, you know, embrace, live, and be passionate and, and be
1: proud of, of dreaming. Mm. Well, lovely answers. Thank you. We keep talking about this. We haven't done it yet, but we will, Bettina. We ask our guests what's their go-to karaoke song, and we're going to make a Spotify playlist of all of them. We've got quite, it's going to be a long old playlist. So come on in. Getting together. Not, 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 not socially distanced, not physically distanced, in a karaoke bar one Night in London, in New York, what would it be?
4: Okay, Mark, when uh, you mine's rap- all to sing the oh, same song, or are they all you No, all, you all
1: different, different. But
4: okay. well, we know what Mark's song is going to be <laughs> <laughs> <of>
1: <laughs> Sweet Dreams, Sweet Dreams. Yeah, <laughs>
4: oh, what a beautiful song!
2: <laughs> well, m- mine's uh, Rappers Delight by Sugar Hill Gang, but the long version, <laughs> the 14 minute <laughs> version, yeah, it's from ages ago, but I used
3: to know the words. I love that. I love
1: that.
3: <laughs> Mine is Tears Dry on Their Own by Amy Whitehouse.
1: Ah, that'd be lovely. Nice contrast to Rappers Delight. To Interesting. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and Mark, well, we know. Oh. Well, he didn't okay.
0: say it, but... That's funny. <laughs> and... Matina and I are channeling. She gets yeah, it. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, during lockdown, I'm sure some most of us have been consuming uh, a bit more than probably we should be on Netflix and Amazon or Apple. Uh, anything that you would recommend people watch could be a documentary, could be a series or a movie. I, I like the politician,
3: the politician on Netflix.
1: Okay.
2: I'm okay. I have something called criterion. It's this channel, it's, they do classic. So I'm going to, there's two things from that. One is, the Senegalese director who did a film is Mabete, but his film is called Tukibuki from the late, from the mid, 70s, early seventies, and it's um, one of the. It's weird, but probably one of the most wonderful films of the seventies, I think. Uh, so it's called Tukibuki.
4: Is it in the uh, new series they have on the African Directors Series?
2: Yes, yes, yes. It's it was there actually before, but um, it's still there, and that's it's under that. Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful, isn't it? A criterion is amazing.
4: Oh, I, yeah, I'm very lucky because I have three friends that actually work there. So I'm very close to the uh, wow. Criterion Collection world and, and uh, it's my absolute obsession. I have a new,
2: mm-hmm. sorry, I have
4: a new series on marriage. It's fantastic. Have
2: ah, you seen oh well. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't. It's yeah.
4: all films where marriage is the main subject and it's really spectacular.
2: It's oh, wonderful yes. the way they because curate.
4: It's a yeah. fine criterion collection. <laughs> Streaming service. Oh.
0: <laughs> Mark. I'm just going to put two in here. And again, I think Mark's coming across as slightly maybe the frivolous and random person in this. But um, I'll start with a more serious one. I truly think Parasite is an incredible uh, movie and that, that's being streamed at the moment just for its complexity and I love things which are just where you really are observing life in a very different situation it's just challenging it's emotive um, and it's gritty and real you know I think there's so many things about there and particularly about disparities and the whole upstairs versus downstairs analogy of of, of life um, and what goes on and then you know likening that to Housewives of Beverly Hills, which I was reading an article, and I'm one of the guilty people who have seen it as well, of why is it so popular in lockdown? You know, what's going on with us that people are becoming obsessed? But it's, again, this, this escapism, and this utter, you know, bizarreness of, of, of life and this sort of haves, which are, are, are the way they're reacting, whatever, which transports you out of this life. So, you know, it's a very complex mix, but those two things have challenged me, enlighten me, all sorts of things. And, and they be my lockdown um, watching um, habits that maybe I shouldn't have omitted the latter
1: one. Okay. We like to offer a book that our guests recommend to anyone that makes uh, good comments in Instagram or on the website. Uh, so what book would you recommend that we offer our listeners? Well, I'll start
0: off with, um, it's called Small Ways to Shape Our World. And I mentioned the lady who wrote it in an organisation called Jane Chusen in Australia. She's, she's the lady behind Comic Relief in the UK and, and has done some, and, and been a, an incredible in, impact on my life. But she has a knack through the way she sees the world to just have sayings and, and writings and, and images, which just are very, very thought-provoking. But her whole thing is that imagine this this world of kindness where each you're doing these things every day these small ways imagine if everyone did that and the power of community of everyone doing that and it's a it's a truly beautiful book
2: um for me i guess it was song of solomon by tony morrison which i'd reread just last month and it really was impactful
3: white fragility oh yeah (laughs) it's very very (laughs) very very, very timely yeah very timely um and while the whole kind of premise of it is why is it hard for white people to talk about racism, it's actually for everyone. It's, it's not just about white people. Everyone has a hard time not only talking about it, but really understanding it and, and more importantly, uh, understand that they're part of the system. And so, yeah,
1: that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was recommended by Marcus as well. So that's definitely one. Uh, final question. Who should we interview next? A collective answer or individual answers? It's up to you. We'll, we take, your, we'll take your guidance. This is- Go for the collective, John. Who do you think it is?
0: Who who, who do you think is we we'd all agree with? I'm <laughs> <normal> <laughs> I was nice.
2: having a hard time deciding suggestion. without having a uh, consensus.
0: <laughs> no procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think?
2: Uh, well the what I, hmm, I don't know. I uh, we didn't discuss it, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, I was thinking. I didn't do my homework on this one, but the Graham Reed, who's the um, Graham Reed at the Human Rights Watch, is a very—he was an activist in South Africa and teaches at Yale, and um, also uh, heads up the LGBT section of the Human Rights Watch. Is a really interesting and very, very, very thoughtful individual who I've had some very interesting intellectual and social,
3: political conversations with.
0: I don't know, but I love him already, and I'd love to hear him. So I go with that.
3: I know him, and he's—that's an excellent suggestion.
1: Great. Well, we will follow up on that one. So I just have to wrap up and thank you for your time and for your uh, great answers. And just, uh, we just uh, take out our acknowledgements of what we found to be refreshing. I mean, I think you're, I think you said it, Alan, in terms of the vulnerability you have between you and that what seems to be an egoless, an egoless group. And that really comes across. And I think your humor. And I think the thing that it's funny, I, as you were talking, it made me think about a TV programme I grew up um, in, the, in the UK that I used to watch and love called Connections. It was by, made by the BBC and it was a, a presenter called James Burke. And you might be familiar with it. But what I loved about it is that it charted the serendipitous uh, connections that led to the great inventions and the great innovations of the past. And I think if as you were talking about common unity and community. What you're building is essentially everything that James Burke charted, that serendipity and that sort of, uh, how do you bring the random moments together, whether it be through procrastination, engineered serendipity, to bring people together, ideas together, to solve problems that make the world a better place. So I'd sort of really just acknowledge you for that, building that common unity or putting in place um, the pieces that will hopefully result in us solving some of the bigger problems. And it's also funny that we, we interviewed Jeremy Hyman's last year, who wrote a book called New Power, which you haven't read. It's great. I strongly recommend that. And Jeremy, in his book, talks about TED as being ideas worth sharing. What we really need are problems worth solving. And we, and we started before the lockdown to plan a bunch of events at Neuhaus to bring together the diverse guests on the podcast around the series Problems Worth Solving. But I think what you're building as a business is based on that very premise. So we congratulate you on that and look forward to seeing what you do. Thank you. Love it. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast player to listen and subscribe. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina Michele and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time.